Richard writes in, what is the most realistic trade you see the Preds making this year? Ooh. Probably the wrong one. Um, I, if they're in a position like they have in the past, we see Poyle likes to ship out a number one pick and, and, and some deep prospect for some guy who's not quite elite, but also not just a depth player. And I have never seen it actually work out in the history of the Predators, but it seems to be what Poyle prefers to do. Mike Fisher's all right. <laughs> Mike Fisher worked okay. Yeah, well, okay, there's an except. There's the exception. Paul Gostad's still with the team. I said still with the team. I didn't say it was great. Yeah, and Dan Brown's still writing books. I mean, it, I mean, so it, was Dean Coons. So, yeah. He, yeah. Can, he can at least string a sentence together. I guess... <laughs> I don't Sorry. Like, I, don't really no. don't, I really don't like Dan Brown. That, that's You have every right to. Um, yeah, I guess it just depends on what we're looking at. I kind of hate speculating on trade it's like one of my the things that just like makes me cringe but, but it's october it's time to speculate oh i know like we gotta we gotta get that one c man you only have like what austin watson's going to do it don't you doubt austin I, uh, I want watson to play so well so they can trade him for something better Welcome back to the show that dominates the shot attempts category every single episode. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. Got a few games to talk about. Got some news around the NHL. Got a pretty well-loaded docket, and I got to give you folks credit. We gave you the opportunity last week for your own personal input. We doubled down. Not disappointed so far, so we got plenty of your own user questions going into it. But gentlemen, how y'all doing tonight? Waiting for this tea to kick in. I think we're all feeling yeah, the Wednesday. It is. Uh, I I have anyone who follows me on Twitter will will know that I've been declaring this an aggressively weird week. Um, and so I I right now I still feel like it's Monday morning, and it's felt like Monday morning the entire week. I'm just I'm fighting through, and I, and tonight I'm fighting through for you, the people listening. Aggressively weird week is in like hockey or just everything. Just life. Yeah. Just, just everything. Literally everything. No, I'm I'm being a little melodramatic for fun. Um, just you know, eventful week. I got you. I have a so far uneventful week. So, two sides of the spectrum, right there. I guess uh, this is very eventful week because I've got uh, pregame shows on Tuesday and Thursday. I've got this on Wednesday. I've got high school football on Friday. I've got Vanderbilt football on Saturday. So yeah, this is this is an intense week for me. And you know, kind of what I signed up for. I'm not griping about it. So. Hey, the thing about the thing about intense weeks. And I mean, you have an intense week. I have an intense week. Is that you get? It, it, it's overall, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, it's a good it's thing. A good thing. I'm doing what I want to do. You know, like yeah, nothing. Nothing. You know, this is a great thing about having a week that you can describe as aggressively weird because none of it is bad. It's just different. Just intense. Different is yeah. good. Different is good. I've yeah. got nothing going on this week. I do have <laughs> West Coast games for the Capitals that have been keeping me up late. So it's the first time that I actually get a chance to like sit down and watch them because they've been playing all their games when the Predators have been playing. So I've been paying attention to the Predators games more and then catching them on the replays or something like that. So now I get to sit down, granted, stay up until 1230 at night and then get up four hours later. But it'll be good. Nice. You watching the uh, you watching the home feed or you? Oh, yeah. You experiment. No, no uh, I don't need to experiment. Joe Beninati and Craig Lachlan. I know what I'm going to get every single game. It's going to be top quality and I'm going to love it. 
What kind of accent does Craig Laughlin have? He's from Toronto. But it's, it's I, sound, he, he sounds like he's speaking oh, to it's a right in a smush, Joe B. Like, that's what he sounds like. Yeah. I love it. Actually, I think in the entire NHL, the uh, the capital announce, Capitals announcers and the Flyers announcers have the weirdest overall voices. And I just struggle with that a little bit. Times. Maybe CSN tries to hire those type of people. And then there's Pat Foley, <laughs> who has a very bizarre voice. There's a lot of bizarre voices. Yeah. I don't like talking about Pat Foley. I really don't like Pat Foley. I don't like the Chicago broadcast as a whole, and we already know this, but anytime you can see like an ex-NHL player that's turned Hall of Famer shaking bottles of liquor during an advertisement, (laughs) this is not an exaggeration. That actually happens. I I would prefer watching the St. Louis feed and knowing every used car dealership in St. Louis and the Dirt Cheap Chicken. I love Dirt Cheap Chicken. (sighs) That's the only reason why I watch St. Louis broadcast. Actually, that's not true. Their their broadcasts are really good. John Kelly and Darren Pang are like, or close to, like, the Dallas feed. Like, the Dallas feed and the St. Louis feed, I think, are, like, the best pairs in the West. Well, Dave Strader's on the Dallas feed now. Yeah, because Dallas, uh, even when it was Ralph Strangest, mm-hmm. I always thought Dallas puts a lot of effort, a lot of detail on the TV. And you know what? Anish is working on this, working on that piece right now. Mm-hmm. So that's coming down the pipeline for On the Forecheck. Uh, we're actually going to be grading the uh, who to watch on Game Center. So a lot of effort went into that yeah, piece. You just take it a lot more serious than I do. I'm, I'm just happy <laughs> if the guy doing color is a, a complete like. idiot. <laughs> Like, I just don't want to be annoyed by the guys doing the commentary. That's all I ask for. I'll leave that one where it stands. Uh, speaking of games that happened on TV, Predators uh, started off the week last Thursday uh, about how we expected, really, uh, playing the New York Islanders. Someone on this uh, show hoped they, got, hoped they got blasted by the Islanders. Didn't quite happen. No, but they played so much better than they played uh, the previous three games beforehand. I, I mean, I, Yeah, I would even say it was probably their I think their best game of the season so far, uh, you know, just just watching them, it was the most dynamic, entertaining, I think, of the season. Statistically, clearly, I think their strongest effort of the season, they just mm-hmm. rolled over the Islanders, which I don't think anyone expected. In terms of play, I mean, obviously, the way the puck ended up falling didn't quite go in their favor, but you can't fault the effort. No, and that's going to happen when your goaltender is, you know, has a 975 save percentage through the first three games. It's going to even out a little bit. Um but we were talking a bunch about how, you know, may, maybe they're just holding themselves back for, like, good team, and it's not a very uh, good indicator of the teams that they've been playing since they're going to be some of the worst in the NHL. And that kind of looked like exactly what happened. They went out with the Islanders and matched them tit for tat, essentially. Um, you know, Tavares got on the scoreboard, but he's always going to score. And other than that, it went so much better than what it was looking like for the first couple games before that. Definitely agree with you on the Tavares point, especially with, uh, I think that was the game where they first moved Mike Fisher up to the top line with uh, Neil and Forsberg. Because mm-hmm. I think right now, Peter Laviolette, he knows what he has with with his top line. He knows what he has with the fourth line with the Gostad line. Not saying they're great. I'm saying he knows what he has with them. He does not know what he has right now with the Ribeiro line between Smith and Wilson and the third line, which you know is always going to be a third line. Well, he's getting an idea of it for the past couple games. Yeah, but he doesn't know. That's, there's a big difference between knowing kind of what to expect and just hoping for the best. So I think that may be some of it. Uh, you're right about there being outshot. Uh, Rene was not sharp, was not his typical sharp self. But we were looking at back at that New Jersey game and complaining that why was Hutton not playing that game because it would have been a perfect opportunity to play Carter Hutton because it's the New Jersey Devils. So do you think that was a product of Rene maybe needing a rest or? I don't think so. 
No, I, I just think uh, and this is really the first time the Predators had gone out and faced a truly high-octane offense um, and, and a really high-talent offense. Uh, you know, you, you could argue that the Oilers have a lot of the, the right offensive pieces, but they also have the, the youth and inexperience, things like that. Um, New Jersey is much more com- – New Jersey, excuse me. The Islanders, New York Islanders, are much more complete. They've played either for a long time. They have a system in place. It's effective, and, and I think that's shown. The Predators got pressed a little bit more maybe offensively than, than, than Peckett was quite ready for, uh, but the team responded, I, I think. And on a, another given night, ultimately, I, I don't think Peckett gives up those goals. It's just one of those nights. Yeah, I think that, uh, and I mentioned this in the game recap and on the comments too, but if you play like that every single night, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. And I think that that's more along the lines of the Predators team that we saw early last year. Um, they looked good. The results weren't in their favor, but ultimately over 82 games that's going to happen a couple of times you're going to win games that you shouldn't and you're going to lose games that you probably should have won that's just what happens yeah i thought the high danger chances uh new york buried there so the El Poso breakaway i thought was the real key moment of that game uh they follow it up by going up to ottawa and uh, winning in the shootout up there the big news is two items actually three items number one ryan ellis gets hurt uh stuck out his kneecap blocking a shot uh he's day-to-day more on that later on james neal got going and that's a Great bit of news. And also, Carter Hutton wins a shootout. Hooray. Yeah. Ticker tape parade there. Great. Okay. Let's start with uh, Ryan Ellis. Um, stuck his knee out trying to block a shot that, I mean, was it even going on that? I think it was. It looked like it was going on net. Yeah, and I thought it was something where he was jostling and he kind of just got his leg out there. I mean, I've seen the replay a couple times. I can't. You never know if it's intentional or not. I think that it's more along the lines of just being in a, the wrong place at the wrong time, and it's one of those things that's going to happen. But, I mean, all reports have him walking around just fine at the moment, so it's whatever it was is probably enough to slow him down to keep him off the ice. And, he, and he was he actually practiced today. Yeah. So he stood at, So that was Saturday night. Um, they had an off day on Sunday, and then he didn't practice Monday or Tuesday. Uh, so he's back in the ice on Wednesday. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, maybe just a bruise or something simple like that. And, and, and considering where it hit him, it could have been a lot worse. Oh, yeah. Much worse. Uh, James Neal coming alive. So fun to watch. He just, he, there's, when he's playing well, you just see this kind of, he's got this just angry, crazed look on his face when he's playing well. And it's a little bit terrifying. But when you're a Predators fan, you're really glad to see it. And it's something, too, that, we know that he's a streaky scorer. All goal scorers are. Um, but I don't remember him being this turned, like, dialed in last year at all. Like, there's there's just something about the way that he's skating right now where the puck is finding him. Uh, that helps that Forsberg's a really good passer. But in the the second, the first goal that he scored against Tampa, there were six skaters, including him, bunched up all in the slot, and he was able to find the puck and shoot it on net. And he's got a goal out of it. I mean, that that happens when you're on a roll, and it's incredible. Yeah, the shootout winner in Ottawa. Um, he last year we didn't see him too many times in the shootout. We only the only shootout I can really remember him being in was he had the winner against L.A. because he was like the ninth guy on the bench. Mm-hmm. So, I guess it's a good idea to use James Neal. Just throwing that out there. He's only your best, second best score on the team. Why not? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. This is a big James Neal house over here. Uh, Carter Hutton got the job done. He had his his nightly soft goal, and once that was out of his system, he's usually fine. Yeah, at this point, as long as Hutton 
gets through the game okay, I really think that's all we can ask from him. He's not going to get any better. Um, we've seen how bad he can be. So it, I don't really think at any point it's really worth dissecting how he plays or how many soft yeah. goals he gives up or anything like that because he is what he is, and as long as they win the game, who cares how he played? Yeah, and it's also it's more frustrating that the organization keeps trying to sell us on a different Carter Hutton than actually exists, and that's what drives me nuts. I mean, pretending for a moment that they're going out there and saying his .908 save percentage from last year is even close to respectable— is just it's embarrassing. It's a flat out lie. I mean, it's below average for it's below it's well below average for backups in the NHL. Did you read the article in the Washington Times with the uh, Mitch Corn interview? There was a really telling quote from him, and you might have read this or heard about it, where he was talking about the medicine ball trick that he uses now, and the interviewer asked him how did you come up with that? And he basically responded, well, it was Carter Hutton. And they said that they opted not to sign any veteran goaltenders that year, and they went with an inexperienced goaltender, and, you know, we'll, we'll work on him. And he said after the first couple of practices, this is a quote from Mitch Korn, he says, uh-oh. And starts working with him to get his balance in the medicine ball, and Shea Weber actually pulled him aside and said, what, are you, are you kidding me? Like, what is going on? Are you, are you guys kidding me? in regards to the goaltender that they brought in. I think that's a very telling just story about Carter Hutton. Yeah, it, it's always been a mystery to me. I mean, he, he goes out, he does, he's got a great attitude. He does really good, just quick analysis snap from the bench. But, it, you know, the, the organizations put him in a position of not being able to be successful, and that doesn't make any sense for, for Carter Hutton. It doesn't make any sense for your organization. It's not doing a service to anybody. Um, I mean... The best thing to come out of it is that Carter Hudson pulling a really good paycheck for a long for for several years and is probably going to set himself up in the future for an analyst position somewhere, mm -hmm. which is great for his career. So I mean, it's it's I think pretty good for Hutton's long term prospects, but doesn't make any real sense for a hockey team. I'm a little bit upset in the fact that this is an organization that's known for grooming and developing defensemen and goaltenders, and they turned to him. But, I mean, I kind of wonder who. We, Pecorine, but who else have they really groomed? I mean, what am I missing? Well, they pulled, they pulled and developed Thomas uh, Thomas Vukun out of obscurity. Eh. That was a lot of Mitch Korn's work right there. Dan so, Ellis wasn't a terrible goaltender when he was here. Dan I think was that a was a good goaltender while he was here. He was he was okay, um, but he I mean he he quickly lost his job obviously to better. But I mean I think two goaltenders in the history of the organization. Well, you got Anders Lindbach too, who did well when he was here, and then went out to just fall off a cliff. Right. I mean, you so you have, you have system. So you have some goaltenders who played okay within a system, passably. But he could. He Anders Lindbach didn't play well enough to stay with the team, and he doesn't. He hasn't gone to very well. Hellberg, wherever I've lost track of him. He's in the Rangers uh, system now. Yeah. So he's in the Rangers system still down there. I mean, it, I, we have Vokun and we have Rene. And that's that's it. It's not even that they're getting rid of goaltenders. Like we have so many goaltenders, they need to go somewhere else to be good. They're well, going and they're they're like maybe flashing a pan, disappearing. Well, it's I think not... two goaltenders of those guys' caliber in seventeen years is pretty good pretty track good. Well, record. But, but it's not a but it's not like they're a goaltending machine. You know where they're just producing amazing goaltenders. Well, no one, and that's kind of the yeah. point. I think I don't think you can give them. The, I mean, defensemen, absolutely, hands down, no doubt. Goaltenders, goaltending is, is essentially like necromancy no one really understands it it's kind of a dark evil place like finland and 
you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it all makes sense now. Yeah, I mean, it's like everyone's <laughs> like, Canada hasn't produced a good goaltender in forever, and they randomly have Carey Price, and he's incredible. And it's like, I guess they can produce good goaltender. It's just, it seems like someday someone's going to actually crack how to evaluate and draft and, and develop goaltenders in a really efficient way, but no one's done that yet. It's going to be like an Indiana Jones thing. They're dusting off a cave wall and pulling out artifacts out of this like little cave. You must choose, choose wisely. The false grail, a.k.a. Brian Finley, will take it from you. <laughs> you don't even consider the, the Finleys and the Smiths and the Pickards. Oh, jeez. Jeremy Smith. For every hit, they've had about five really, really bad misses. Let's talk about the game of the century. Tuesday night, Predators, Lightning. They should play each other more often. They really should. It's a lot of fun. It was this way last year, too. I remember I was just about to say, just back and forth, chances after chances, which I don't know, like, I guess you expect it with Tampa because of the players that they have. Um, And, you know, Nashville's getting to that point now as well. But on paper, you don't really look at that and say, like, that's going to be a hell of a game. That's going to be one that I'm going to sit down and watch. But, like, it's getting to be appointment viewing now. When when those two teams are playing, and it sucks that they only play two times a year, but each of those games... Or the will pa- they? Ooh. Probably not. But each of those games the past couple of years has been incredibly fast. They've been incredibly high scoring. I love it. It's amazing that Tampa and Nash were playing hockey the right way. Isn't that great? Yeah. The right way. They're playing the right way. Yeah. Entertaining. I think my favorite parts about just about the the Tampa Nashville games is that you get to see what Nashville does incredibly well, and that's defense. Even though I mean, you can overlook you know Batetto and Bartley because that's just absolute. Sure, yeah. Let's, a, it's, it's, let's please overlook that. that there, there's three awful. standard deviations from the mean if yeah. you want to use some stat speak. But we've seen it for the last couple of years now because Nashville's won the last how many ever against Tampa? They swept them last year. They swept them last year. They won this. They're one. all close games. But the only thing that I've seen so far that neutralizes the triplets line and the Stamkos line is Nashville's type of defense, where they're not afraid to press you, where they have an active defense that skates. Compare that to Tampa's defense, which, I mean, Strawman can skate, Hedman can skate, but after that, Matt Carl, he's okay. He's okay. You know, uh, Braden Coburn, he's, he's big. He's okay. He's present. Yeah. <laughs> If Tampa has one one weakness, is that their defense outside of their first pairing kind of stays back. So, uh, looking a little bit further deep into it, uh, the Fisher Neil Forsberg line it may not be like the perfect top line by any means, but you compare their output, uh, even to get matched up against the Stamkos line, even matched up against anybody in that game, and they had great possession numbers. They were the best line in in the game. Oh, it was so much fun to watch them play. I mean. I- I don't know how that line even works, but it does. And I'm not going to argue too much until it stops working. All three guys have a job. Well, I I also think that it's that that prototypical line where you have your two skilled guys and then your just gritty grinder who can get to the dirty places and stay in front of the net and let the other guys do the work. And somehow it works. Well, with the added benefit with Mike Fisher, he does have have decent hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he, he can make some plays and make things happen. And it, you just kind of like you can't help but fantasize a little bit. Like, what if you had some like like a true number one center in there? I mean, that's like the eternal Predators viewer fantasy mm. as is. But literally from keep day one in the franchise. But um, hey, David Leguan for like 
a week looked like the real thing. When he was next to Radulov in the playoffs. Paul Korea in 2012. Wasn't he on Korea's wing? That's Yeah, that's true, but I'm trying to live in a fantasy world, Dan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Jones and Ekholm were paired together for this, and they had also a really good night. They did. They, If you looked at their deployment, they played over 10 minutes against the triplets and came out the better of that exchange. And they were active. Yeah. I, I know that they were, I think they were on for one of their goals against, but I mean, it, were, I'm, yeah. we're not going to fault them for that too much. Uh, but Jones and Ekholm were active, and they've had some success in the past. I was looking at their Wowie numbers before the game started, and I believe they they were at 250 minutes last year, and both of them together were a 53% uh, possession, which is really good. I think they just they complement each other really well um, in that they can both activate, both they can both get deep, but as I continuously and always praise Ekholm for, he is more than willing to do whatever he needs to do to be valuable and useful to the team. And he's incredibly Swedish. Um, it's always a plus. And he's happy. Like, so he's happy to be that guy who starts the breakout, but lets Jones finish it and lets Jones get deep and has the, the, the smarts and the intelligence to read the play and stay back and, and help provide the stability. So when, when Jones has, you know, his occasional, you know, mental mistake uh, that he, that he's kind of still working through it, it's not a big issue, and Jones can recover because that comes there. It works really cleanly, um, and they can both skate because Jones keeps getting paired with guys who could at one point skate but now can no longer skate or just are basically moving pylons, which doesn't work well because they can't get back to cover as quickly. So if they're a little bit out of position, they get burned, and that's what we see kind of with Jackman a little bit. That's what we saw with Volchenko last year. I, um, I've been on multiple shows, you know, praising the Barrett Jackman signing and I still do. I think it's still it's a good, very good signing yeah. thinking the Barrett Jackman's going to be a great security blanket for Seth Jones. You know, let Seth Jones do whatever he needs to do. Makes sense. Having said all of that, you guys have done a pretty good job convincing me and just the tape itself has done a pretty good job convincing me as well that Jones Ekholm may be a better pairing than Ekholm Ellis. Well, J- Jones Ekholm is a second line pairing. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I think I think Ellis Ekholm is feels like a utility line. It feels like a power play unit. Well, they do a lot of good things well. They do. Uh, yeah, they're not. I mean, they're yeah, not and bad. They, and they work but... really well together. And I think that's. I mean, we're sitting here kind of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Where I mean, like, just look at how. That's, a, that's assuming that the ship's going down, man. Yeah. Well, what's the opposite? Like a Hindenburg that didn't blow up. Can, do we have like a good airship that didn't blow up? That we're re- rearranging I the we chairs know about on it. really nice. <laughs> we only know about the stuff that sinks and, and like and okay falls imagine you have a really nice boat that's well constructed has chairs on it we're just moving the chairs around to see what the best seating arrangement is i love that's how my misplaced doing. idioms just derail conversations all the time a couple weeks ago was the low high yeah. bar everything is good we're just moving chairs we're because moving, that's what you're moving the bass player and the rhythm guitarist of iron maiden around the stage there you go. That's okay. a that's a better one. Yeah. But I mean, look look at Nashville's depth, where you can talk about you know putting one guy with another guy, and it's still really good. Or you could switch to this other one, and it's still also really good. Which one do you use? I I think that's a credit to what they have right yeah, now. But you know what the answer is not? It's not Bartley and Potato. God, they're so that bad. that is no answer to anything except that, like that. Can we just talk about how it when when Bartley and Potato were out? And I know I'm gonna I think try to swing back to where you were what we were gonna talk about, Dan. When those guys were out and they were out the fourth line, that was scary because there was no one who could skate or get out of the zone except for Bork, and he just was skating in circles like a sad puppy. And we talked about this over Twitter when it was happening because I remember I saw that and I was like, oh, God, who are they on the ice with right now? And I looked over and yeah. it was Tampa's fourth line, which 
oh, okay, I, I guess I can see that. And then what do they do? They ice the puck, the Stamkos line comes on, and they were hemmed in the zone for two and a yeah, half minutes. and people were pointing out to me, it's like, oh, but, you know, they were, it was an icing, like, that deployment should simply not happen. I mean, once you see how bad it is, and then on top of it, and this is trying to swing back to, I think, where we're going, it was as bad, if not worse, when Bartley and Potato were out with the Ribeiro line. Because that line was just as bad, I which mean, is, they were a tire Wilson fire can, yesterday. can sniff at defense and make some things happen, but Ribeiro, he just sort of like, I just watch him and like, please don't, please don't slash or cross check anybody because that's what he just he just starts flailing his stick around, like he just doesn't know where he is anymore. And he's also not playing well, which means he's going to press more, yeah. which is going to lead to bad penalties yeah. and bad opportunities. And Smith just sort of he's present on defense. He's not like a liability, but he's not going to really do much. But then you put it out with with Bartley and Potato who cannot clear a puck without icing it. It's embarrassing to watch. That was bad. And Weber and Yossi. I mean, this is no big surprise here. But even against like the top tier lines of the league, had a really good night. Yeah, I hear those guys are good. Yeah, the, the, the I hear, reports I hear they're say pretty good. they're pretty good. Uh, yeah, but Ribeiro and Wilson and Smith were historically bad. They did have their one shining moment where they filtered the puck back around for Weber's slap shot. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. And Wilson, Wilson had some good moments uh, in the offensive zone with the puck, but other than that, I mean that that's a power play line. That yeah, it was just so bad. That is a power I, play line. And they are on um, you know in normal stances, that's the second power play unit. That's been the unit all all year. Is Smith, Fisher, and uh, I'm sorry, Smith, uh, Ribeiro, and Wilson. It just—it's not working as a second line right now. I'm kind of ready for Hodgson to try to center that second line. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Just give it a shot. I mean, Ribeiro then has some new toys as far as like to pass the puck around to that are more speed based. So you make that third line—that's the redemption line. Yeah, and, and he—they get sheltered minutes. It doesn't have to go against any any bad or big competition. Sorry. Yeah, I was I was I was appreciating. The problem the is, the I was going to put Ribeiro on the redemption line. Enjoy that for a moment. Well, the, the trouble with that is that the only person who shoots the puck on the third line is Victor Arvidsson, which Victor Arvidsson shoots the puck like he's an anime character, which works for me because mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being nerdy. I say I'm I'm pushing the I'm pushing the conversation. Yeah, that's forward. that's his. That's no, his I'm enjoying I'm enjoying I'm doing the anime. Um, well, just think Arvidsson. about it. Like you know, he like has like the little glow flame you know that comes out of him double deuce and just winds up and <laughs> well speaking of the redemption line i thought that they actually played an overall really good game yeah last i, I think too. i think they're they go out there you don't expect spectacular things you expect them to really work hard and, and to try to create some fresh offense and they really they really do try to do that and it's it's one of, it's a bit of a pressure like pressure release valve you put them out there get some guys rested up for some reason you need to rest the fourth line so they're ready to skate in their own zone for two minutes straight um, but you no, know, they goals. they do they really do what I was hoping they would do, and I think the offense will come to that line. It's just a matter of of systems and comfortability. One last thing out of everything that we've saw we've seen so far, um, Eric Nyström still on the fourth line. How much rope do you think he has left before he's replaced by Watson? I, I don't. I mean, I think. You know, I know the question I know, is: do you I know think, that's a move that you would make tomorrow. Yeah. But. Well, the question the question is 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 that do the Predators see him as being able to play center and incapacity at NHL level? Because then it's a matter of who's on shorter rope, Gostad or, or Nystrom. Um, I think the Predators value Gostad over Nystrom for sure. They should too. Uh, I mean, it's a tight race for, for the bottom between those guys, but uh, I, I can't see any reason why you, you wouldn't skate Watson. I mean, he's young, he's hungry, he wants to play. 
He can do PK defensive minutes. He's big. Uh, yeah, he, he's got a lot of the assets that Nystrom has, and he's shown that he, he, he's got some decent hands. He can make turnovers happen in transition plays, which is something that no one on that fourth line can do. Bork a little bit, um, but imagine, I mean, Bork and Watson being able to create a defensive zone transition is far, far greater than, than Nystrom, Goss, Ed Bork. That's, That's what we up. saw with the bet with Beck being on the fourth line. The fourth mm-hmm. line finally well, could skate. But I think Watson's got a better set of tools than Beck, yes. in my opinion. Um, I mean, Beck just didn't have a scoring. T- he never his scoring touch didn't. Outside didn't of Toronto, carry. it didn't really. Um, happen. Yeah, and, but I, I think I'm. I'm usually I was always historically like I'm very much like Watson doesn't doesn't make the team because there's so many people set up in front of him, and he's been given he's been given opportunities to actually do that, and even if he doesn't last long term with the team just due to being spaced out by bodies, he's there right now. He's better than anyone you're skating on the fourth line. Why would he be scratched if he's healthy? I agree. And unfortunately, the way it's looking, I it feels like there's going to have to be an I- injury to Nystrom before Watson gets his shot there. Because for whatever reason, Laviolette's flipping Arvidsson and Watson, which is weird because each of those guys has vastly different skill sets and is vastly different, um, used better on either line. So... I don't know. I, I think if Nystrom isn't on a tight or on a short lease right now, he should be because other than that empty net goal that he scored, which you know, hello, just uh, right place, right time, he hasn't shown anything outside. Mm-mm. He's missing checks. He's got one job, and he's slow. He's he's chasing the puck. I don't know. Uh, just a couple of quick notes here. Uh, Ellis is listed as day-to-day uh, per Tom Willis that the swelling in his knee has gone down. Uh, both Jackman and also from Willis. Uh, Jackman and Watson both uh, missed Tuesday's game, but they're both at practice. Jackman even said that he's feeling better. So both those guys likely to turn in the lineup sometime later this week. So um, that's the book on this week so far. Uh, anything else before we go to break? No, I think we did a, we, I think we did a good job. I, I think agree. We did a good job. You guys are so great. Well, thank you. You're great, too. Thank you. We'll be right back with the second half of the show right after this. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards, one that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lion Zone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. And welcome back. As promised earlier, we decided that uh, we're going to give you people some more rope. Decided to go with the comments section, go with Twitter, 
Got a lot of user questions here, and one of them actually was going actually uh, was going through on the way here. And I said, you know, the one of the questions is actually good enough to uh, replace one of my five tough questions. So that's a first. Don't don't count on it happening every time. Um, do, they, do they get like a special crown for the week or something? I don't know. Um, I'll have to get the guys at Tiffany on that. Uh, the question number one comes from uh, Commoner Musa Monster. Um, this is a little bit facetious, but it kind of describes how bad the guys play so far. How long until Ribeiro gets demoted to Milwaukee? Uh, I, th- I think the also the question there is how long until Milwaukee says, please don't send us Ribeiro. Please, please don't do it. Uh, question number two from REW182. Uh, not even worth it. Yeah, I got. I see you play. Uh, is Montreal that good? And also, is Chicago that bad? Carey Price is that good. Max Pacioretty's that good. Mm-hmm. Thomas Kanek has found has become a renewed player. PK Subban is that PK good. PK Subban's really good. I mean, they've got a lot of pieces. I don't think they're, and and I'm going to be doing some air quotes here. They're not that good, but they're good. And let's remember the last team, if I remember correctly, that went seven and zero to start the season barely made the playoffs. Uh, that was the 2011-2012 Capitals, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, they're they're going to be a good team. I think when we talked about our um, in our division rankings, we rank them second or third, depending on who you talk to. Pretty, uh, yeah, very high. And I, I mean, I think that they're going to be in that in that mix, and they're they're playing very well. But it seems like they're also getting a little bit of luck on their side as well. Um, so, I mean, I think within the next couple of weeks, you'll see them kind of even out a little bit. But I do think it's going to be a, a race for them in Tampa for that Atlantic Division crown. Lurker, a fun race. Lurker Teach writes in, uh, Why haven't the Game Ops people updated their in-game video clips with fresher, more appropriate selections? Because License. that would be work, Dan. Well, licensing fees. Yeah. There you go. Com- two common sense answers. Uh, let's see. A question about Leah Thompson. <laughs> let's see here. I think that's a question. Um, let's see. In honor of back, this is uh, from BF from B Farish 5 This is an excellent question. I had to go through and recommend this one. In honor of Back to the Future Day and the upcoming uh, Star Wars movie, what was your first holy shit movie experience? Uh, he said that his first was a tie between Jurassic Park and the early viewing of Independence Day. I do remember my first Jurassic Park moment. Uh, it was actually, we went to Kmart, I believe. We got the VHS of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched it underneath the Power Rangers comforter. Scared the crap out of me. But I would say probably was Toy Story. Because I'd never seen any type of animation like that before. And going, you know, from the animated cartoons that I was watching when I was a kid to that. Seeing Buzz Lightyear, it's like, oh my god. I, it took me a minute to think of it. But, I mean, for me, I'm just going to have to go with what influenced me the most was stuck with me and, and that's that has to be the the theatrical release of of star wars a new hope and the trilogy when, the, when they were put out in the 90s again uh i mean i was like obsessed with star wars for the rest of my life really oh yeah so i mean that was like the moment where you were just where you were in the theater and you saw like did you see something in particular that just always stuck with you no it was just the uh the mythology that resonated with me where it it walked that fine line and I mean, this is me looking back. Clearly, this wasn't what I was thinking at the time. But um, you know, it walked a fine line between science fiction and and magic, and you know, elements of politics and religion and, and things like that. So it was it was just all these fascinating things brought together into a really compelling story and, and something that was visually 
different because I, I would I've been raised on Star Trek, and so Star Wars was so visually and and just just so different. Um, I feel as captivated like a, like felt like Star Trek was always captive because they're always on the ship. Well, it was also yeah. it was also closer. Star Trek was close to being a hard science fiction. Um, you know, it was really about exploration. It was about asking big philosophical questions. Where Star Wars sort of cleaved through it, where all also the... seemed more uh, a lot simpler to me. Yeah, like good and, and it evil. Was, it that's was simpler. The, that's the story. Um, I mean, it, and it it spoke to you know. There's there's this certain there's like this really great influence of of the classic Japanese samurai films and, and things that I went on to, to then watch and really enjoy. And uh, yeah, it just it was something totally different for me. And it was obviously I was very young when it came out again. So it, it was really the right age to be seeing that. You're the first person else, the first person that's ever said that to me where, and it makes sense that the first star Wars movie or the star Wars trilogy is essentially like a Japanese style, like martial arts movie, except set in space. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole th- like this, like this um, Seven Samurai. Yeah, Lucas um, himself actually said that there's a scene. Kurosawa to... was, was like, it, it's basically a, a Western science fiction Kurosawa movie. There was a scene, and actually, Attack of the Clones. Sorry to bring it up, uh, where Yoda puts his head down and kind of wipes his brow. And Lucas said that scene that it was. It's only like a two second shot, but that was directly um, influenced by the Seven Samurai. Mine would be uh, when in Jurassic Park, watching it in the theater, where the dinosaur breaks through the roof of the car. That was that was intense. That was. I, mean, I think I did this with my Power Rangers comforter. I was up to the eyeballs. I was like eight years old and watching seeing it in like a, I think it was like the Windsong Theater here in Nashville. It's where the Publix is now in Nippers Corner. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that there used to be a movie theater yeah, there. Used to be a movie theater now. Uh, let's see here. Also, uh, he has a follow up. Your most irrationally hated player, Steve Downey. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't hate players irrationally. You don't? Uh, no. I have. I have a good reason. Well, for there's every a good reason to hate, hate Steve Downey. That is too. true. I, I don't think I can think of a player I hate irrationally. Um, like I think so. Like, I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I. I try to be very fair with players. Um, I've had to learn that because uh, yeah, it's usually because I you know. Because the thing that comes to mind are guys like Enforcers or something like that, or like my least favorite. Like Pests I really didn't or... like like Carcillo or Ronaldo, Zach Ronaldo. I'll, I'll but there's you... all reasons why, really good reasons like, why I don't like them. Like Alex Burrows, I really don't like him. But you know, I'll give you an example: Patrick Marlowe. I don't, I can't quite put my finger on the reason why I don't like Patrick Marlowe, but I'm never going to pull for Patrick Marlowe. Hmm. Like I can't really put my finger on. It. I think it's because he's played in for San Jose for so long. He's just comes part of the furniture there. And oh wait. No, I forgot. How did I forget this? I hate Jamie Benn for no apparent reason. That's right. I hate Jamie Benn for no reason. Was this a recent thing? No, it's always it's always been. He used to be. Uh, he of course he was with the uh, Texas. No, who was who's the uh, Dallas Texas, Texas Stars? Stars yeah. yeah. Um, so actually, I say no reason, but there is a, there is a reason, but it's a silly one um, because he was playing with the Stars and he has super great like first year he's up with the Stars uh, with Dallas and he played amazing. But then they sent him down to the minors because um, when they got out, knocked out the playoffs or whatever. And so he joined the Stars, just the Texas Stars, just in time to play the Hershey Bears in the Calder Cup and just dominated everybody. And I blame him for the Bears losing the Cup that year, the Calder Cup. So I hate him for that reason, but I just carry it on forward. I'm going to have to come back to this one. I, all the players that I hate, I've got good reason to hate. 
I don't I don't think that I've got one where just like, you know what? I don't like that guy and I don't know why. Jeffrey 101Y writes, hockey related, uh, why can't the third line score? And because they look great generally generating quality scoring chances. Because we're six games into the season. Yeah. I'm just going to cut the because we're six games into the season and it's the third line. And they keep swapping Arvidsson, Bork, I mean, and a bunch of other you, people I mean, in there. Yeah, that line is going to score 30, 35 goals total max all season. Yeah. We're six games in. Don't stress. Also, uh, do you know of any players on, on any on the team, which I'll just say, do you know any players in the NHL that brew their own beer? I imagine Aaron Ferrant to be the guy who would brew his own beer. I, I know some I know some celebrity hockey fans who do that, but yeah, not I know themselves. I know Daniel in the comments brews his own beer. We talked about it a couple of times because I've done it a few times. But no, that'd be a good question for the All Star game. It would be a good question for the All Star game. Actually, you know, something that might be interesting for hockey players to talk about that's not overly emotional for them. How do you feel? Talk about how you feel to be in the All Star game. <laughs> I, I just want. I just. Like I just want to. I, I still dream of meeting Jonas Hillerson. Like, Hiller, do you feel like your your career started declining when you were uh, being constantly scored on at the beginning of the NHL game by Jonathan Taves, or was it before? That? Was it? Was, did you start declining before or after that? I have to modify the question because it's been a few years. But uh, what a rough position for your goaltender you put in. All right, let's go to Twitter. Soledad writes in because my hockey, my fantasy hockey team depends on it. What's wrong with Columbus? Can they be that bad? I'm surprised we haven't mentioned torts yet so far. I got sections, man. Okay. I got sections and news. and, and This show is yeah. like a parfait. It's layers. With, hey, with, you know, with Tortorella and Columbus at the bottom, which is not where you want to end up. Onions have layers. Yeah, I, I just like onions. I make people cry. Answer the freaking question. Uh, they've been extremely unlucky. And also, uh, Bobrovsky has been just ridiculously bad. Um, I don't know if you've got Bobrovsky on your fantasy team or not. He was one of the early goal, high goalie picks because he's been good yeah. for several years. And, I mean, honestly, I think that he's just – there's. I don't really think that he's going to be as bad as he is right now. They're just giving up goals in bunches. I watched their first game of the season against the Rangers where they let in those three goals in barely a minute. And But that, that just keeps happening. Before that – they looked really good. They were out playing the Rangers, and it looked like they were going to walk away with the win. It just hasn't happened, and that's been the story of Columbus's season right now, where they're giving up goals, a lot of goals in a short amount of time, and they're doing it right after they score as well. It's going to turn around. Eventually it will. But, man, am I glad I didn't pick them and win the Metro. <laughs> Hi, Chris Martell. Hashtag blessed. Um, next question? Go for it. Uh, Greg Mashopoulos writes in from Predneck Nation. How long does Lavi give Hodgson before he scratches him in favor of Callie Yarncrook at center and possibly calling up Steve Moses or Kevin Fiala? I, I don't know. The issue with that is that right now you've got two centers who, are, who aren't making a huge mark in Ribeiro and Hodgson. So you have to sort those two players out at the same time. Uh, and, and so unless one establishes themselves themselves on this team you can't really demote anybody and also i don't think yard crook's necessarily a center solution uh so i think that's a that's a big issue with with, with anything you're going to do and that's the reason the predators in the situation they are now they don't have the right centers so they have to kind of make do even if it is with with Hodgson and ribeiro if they're not performing yeah and moses and fiala call-ups just not going to happen anytime soon especially if uh hearing the reports that daniel lavender 
good friend of the blog has been making out of Milwaukee saying that Kevin Fiala hasn't been playing in uh, big situations. He's kind of moping around on the ice. And is he, he hurt, though? Uh, I mean, it's possible. But if he's hurt, he's not going to get a call-up anyway. And, and if he's hurt, he's not going to be able to show what they're looking for as far as getting out of Milwaukee. Um, so whether it's, you know, he's in his own head or whether he's hurt, it's not going to be anything that happens soon. I haven't heard anything about Moses, but I don't think that's on the radar at all for either one of those players at all. I think it's just going to require a little bit more time. All right. Uh, Zach M. Wright 9, at, or at Zach M. Wright 9 on Twitter, writes in, tacos or burritos? Depends on the mood. Man, I, I, here I have to put a caveat on this. When we say tacos, do are we going to mean proper Mexican tacos? Or are we like... Those are the ones that I make. Like, like it's one of my grandma's tacos. Here's, here's like double layer corn tortilla with, you know, something nice, slow cooked in the middle with a little bit of onion and cilantro on top with maybe some, some home house salsa. And, see, so, and this is where I agree with that caveat because if we're talking about the tomatoes that my grandma taught me to make, we do that. We do flour, corn tortillas, whichever one that you want. Put some raw beef in there and season it up with uh, some cumin and some garlic salt. Fold it up and dip it in oil and let it fry there for a second and let it cook. And then so you, it actually turns the soft shell into a hard shell and you can put everything on that. I will make those every night if I have to, and I would much prefer those over a burrito. But burritos are delicious and a lot easier. Yes. So I think here's here's I think we can agree on this. If it is authentic Mexican food, definitely tacos. Mm. If we're at a local like a Mexican American like Tex-Mex style, probably burrito. Oh yeah, it's a way to go. Mm. Mm, I'm gonna go uh, tacos both ways on this because I make my make a little bit of more Tex-Mex style. And, uh, yeah, I love going just, like, putting crazy toppings on it. My, my friend guy. Jesus, he spoiled me, and I can never go back to, to the American taco after after eating his, his grandmother's recipes at his uh, restaurant. I just I can't like go seafood. back. I like seafood. I like seafood, too. He, did a, he does a great tilapia taco. He, his, his restaurant had a fantastic ceviche. Okay, ceviche is mm. what's up. You have to Google that one, folks. Uh, Cam Gumpy, uh, the, the czar of everything on Predator's Reddit. What is your favorite ride at Disneyland? <laughs> from the last time I was there and it's been maybe 20 years um, it's the Star Wars experience right come on I'm probably going to go with Space Mountain I've got some good adventure or I've got some good memories with Splash Mountain but that's at Disney World not at Disneyland I, I think mine is at you know, whatever I named was at like MCOT or something like that or EPCOT so I don't, I don't I'm just going with whatever I come to mind yeah. although don't sleep on uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride I mean, I'll be honest. Like, if you if you really ask, it was like I like the thing where you walk by where they with, like they show you how sound stages work, and they're like, here's like a thing they used to use to film like ocean battles on, and they have like a ship, and they do like I mean, that's the stuff I liked. So I like the boring stuff. I've never been to Disney World. And the Honey I Shrunk the Kids section was really cool when I was a kid because everything was giant. It was cool. I was sick the time that I did that. Jeez, yeah, that would make me sick. Kevin Harris writes in: Are the stars for real? Um. Astronomically, yes. Uh, as Science has proven they as, are. <laughs> stars are real. Um, they may have alien structures around them. Who knows? We don't. Science doesn't. But the team in Dallas, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings because they have all the firepower in the world. Their goaltending is good when it's stable, uh, but I, but I, I get a few concerns about Lennon getting injured again because he seems to always get injured. And Niemi... He's only played for really two teams. Who knows if he's super successful. 
And then I'm still suspect about the defense in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're going to be good. I don't think that they're going to win the division, but I also would. I mean, if you ask me if they're a playoff team coming into the season, I'd say yes. That's fair enough. Uh, John Garcia writes in, to future me, have you decided if you're watching Back to the Future 1 or 2 tonight? I have decided past me, and I'm going to go with both of them, actually, because you can't really... If you're going to do the experience, you do it right, and this is going to be the last time where Back to the Future is actually in the present. Actually, I also do want to do a shout-out to past me for... Uh, thank you so much for packing an extra Cliff Bar in my lunch today, and especially the one with caffeine in it. I needed that in the drive over here. I don't think we, we have a dog. We have no dog in this fight. Uh, Frank Marco writes in, how do you think uh, Yarncroak has looked as a winger? And bonus to Link, what is your favorite Mega Man? Will we start with the hockey question? No, start with the Mega Man question. Yeah, I okay. the Mega Man so, question. yeah, I, had to, I thought this was over. I mean, the, the obvious one is that um, I mean, Mega Man X is probably the best Mega Man game ever made. Uh, it took the classic style. It just improved it. The intro stage where it teaches you mechanics just by doing and not by text pops or anything it's is, incredible. is, is it's incredible. really great. Um, and I have to give a list here. So then, I mean, Mega Man 3 is also, is probably the best of the classic core ones because it introduces not only Rush, but the slide mechanic that just really opened up the game. And then I, controversially, I have a soft spot for Mega Man 7. It's not a super pop, it's, it's one of the, like the, besides 8, it's probably the least popular one. I was going to say I have a soft spot for 8. I never played 7, or okay, I didn't play 7 a lot. I played it in the reruns, but I wore out 8 on my PlayStation. Yeah, I mean, 7 got dark um, for Mega Man, uh, and it also came out about the same, like it came out in between, like it came out I think after X, Mega Man 7 came out after X, so obviously people were very disappointed because it looked like classic Mega Man, but X was so amazing. Uh, but I really liked 7. It was just something fun about it. 8 was just goofy and out of its mind. And the voice acting in those cutscenes. Oh, man. That voice acting. So bad. What about Yarncroak? Uh, he could not beat any of the Robot Masters in any of the games. Okay. I mean... I don't. I don't believe he can fire energy pellets from his hands. So why? Could he, how could he possibly? I don't know. He needs to <laughs> hang around Doctor Wily more. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He's. <laughs> yeah. Well, Doctor Wowie. Um, like five people are gonna be like, "Ah, that's fantastic." <laughs> um, and Rose is like, "This guy's an idiot." Um, he's a good doctor. No, Wally. I mean you're crooked. I don't know. I kind of. I don't really think about him. Like he's. I know he plays hockey, but I. I haven't really seen him much. He's been very quiet this year. Oh, he was quiet last year, too. I think that his... Well, first off, he was very highly touted in the Red Wings organization. I, I actually, um, several months ago during the summer when I had nothing to do, went and read and bounced back and forth some of the trade threads from Winging It in Motown and OTF. I was seeing like how people were acting about them, and Wings fans were really upset that he got traded. Oh, they were livid. And he came on and had that um, nine points in 12 games right away, so everyone was like, there we go. Second line center, here we go, this guy is going to be amazing. And then that's not exactly what he turned out to be. And we saw that last year, and I guess you could kind of put it in last year as his first full season, still getting used to the NHL. Right uh, beside iffy line mates. That's, yeah, season. exactly. You know, Derek Roy, Ole Oaken, and people who weren't there by halfway through the year. Um, and he's kind of in the same position right now where the third line's in a state of flux. Um, he looked pretty good on the first line when he was there, but I wouldn't keep him on the first line for longer than a game like they did. 
So I think it's one of those things where it's kind of a catch-22 where he's he's got to make his own way and show that he is the player that the coaches think they are. And, I mean, the organization, from what Laviolette and from what Poyle have said, they're very high on him and think that he's a very intelligent and very smart hockey player. But at the same time, he doesn't necessarily have the line mates to do that until, you know, someone like Arvidsson gets used to the NHL or Cody Hodgson starts playing a little bit better. I can fully agree with that. Uh, last one for right now. Uh, looks, let's see here. This is a really creative name. All right, her, her display name is just C. C writes in, should Ellis grow his beard back? And the answer to that is easy. It's yes. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, we're talking about people who look like people who are brewing their own beer. Ellis at least looks the part. And did you see that undercut? We were talking about it at the preseason game. Ooh, I mean, you know, he's a sleeve tattoo away from automatically getting a bartending job. Yeah, he, he was the type of person who asks not only how the beans were picked, how they were sorted, and how they were brewed. We're talking about coffee. Yeah. Are they fair? Is this fair trade? Borosilicate glass. That's all I know. Sorry, I work with a guy who's a coffee fanatic. He just talks about borosilicate glass all the time. The Apparently, stuff, it's important. Is that the stuff like the ocelots eat or borosilicate glass? I don't think ocelots eat glass. No. Like, okay, I, I missed that. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you said a word that I didn't think you said, so never mind. Uh, all right, let's uh, look around. What? Big, big news out of today. Um, John Tortorella is now the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. All right. Cute. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's John, John Tortorella. We, we, we've been around the block how many times now? It's like, oh, he's angry. He's mean. Let's, it's whatever. Who cares anymore? Um, other news. I, uh, I, I, just, I wonder what the Jackets know what they're getting into. I mean, I can you really see that going much better than what he had in Vancouver? I guess the Jackets are more yeah. talented than... What not, he has in Vancouver. Not just them more. They may be on par with talent, but there's a lot more effort guys in that organization. Yeah, I'd say Feligno is definitely worth two Sedins any day. Well, Tortorella thrives. <laughs> laugh louder. People know it's a joke. Please, John, make <laughs> sure you laugh, please. There's that awkward silence. Tortorella yeah, yeah. likes having those, quote, effort guys, guys like a Hartnell, guys that are willing to, you know, to, to sacrifice, you know, bones for the sake of blocking a simple shot. Yeah, until he wears him down like he did with Brandon Dubinsky, that's not going to be awkward I'm looking all. forward to Ryan Johansson just being like, I am not signing whatever contract you put in front how of many, me. How many guys are now in the Rangers who are just glad to have escaped Tortorella? And then Brandon Art, Dubinsky is just like, we're no! the Rangers. No, yeah. Well, Artem and Isimov should be thanking Kekalainen that he got him out of there. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, other news, uh, Duncan Keith is out for uh, four to six weeks. Ankle injury. Wah, wah. Paul Stastny out Saw for that. three to five weeks. Going to be reevaluated at five weeks, I believe. Uh, I misread that. Five weeks for him. So, uh a little bit of good news, a little shot and fried there for Nashville. But. Well, I mean, it, you know, Stastny's been been struggling in in um, in St. Louis, so maybe it's not as a huge hit for the team as we might think. But I mean, he really doesn't. He really maybe even poised for a breakout year after a rough round one. I I think they're that's a tough situation with him as far as because who's the third line center on that team? Well, it's either going to be Stastny, Backus, or Terra. Neither of those guys are third line quality. They're all. Top six quality. Well, and the Blues are having some injury problems right now anyway. Uh, Panarin's out. Uh, they, I think Shattenkirk's Shattenkirk having Shattenkirk can't stay healthy yeah. anymore. More he, like Shattenkirk. He's turning into Andy Kaufman like in several different ways. <laughs> Seriously, look at the guy. I saw him at the All-Star game. Oh, I was making was so many jokes about it. That was hilarious. Poor um, kid. Let's dive into it. Five tough questions, mostly going around the NHL, sponsored by your dynamic sponsor opportunity here. 
Number one, Sidney Crosby scored his first goal of the season last night. It's what, game six, game seven? What happens first? Phil Kessel gets moved to Evgeny Malkin's line, or Crosby and Kessel start scoring in bunches? The, the latter, scoring in bunches, definitely. I'd agree with that. I think I, I read a couple things where people are uh, – actually, I think it was uh, in Elliot Friedman's 30 Thoughts where they're talking about how Crosby's pushing a little bit more. Like Cros- Crosby's a guy who likes to have his line mates in close so that he can give them the puck and get them through, whereas Kessel's a guy who likes to use his speed and get open and fire and everything like that. So there's still that adjustment period. Uh, which is why I thought it was a little bit premature for people in the summer to be like, oh, yeah, Kessel is going to be a 50-goal scorer. He's playing with the best best center in the world, we best even, player in the we world. We considered it here on our, on our show. There's still that adjustment period, though, because, I mean, like, think of where Kessel's been this entire time. Um, I, I really think that Pittsburgh is going to start playing much better than they've been, and I think, I mean, it's it's Crosby. He's not going to be going without you know as many points pointless streaks as he's been for too very long i think it's just a matter of there hasn't been enough games in the season yet i think you start him in the defensive zone and they'll figure it out give them a chance to use their speed just throwing that out there number two john tortorella coach the columbus blue jackets are you buying or selling the columbus blue jackets somehow making the playoffs this year Man, I'm at an impasse here because on paper, they should be a playoff team. And again, I want to stress how glad I am that I didn't pick them to be high up in that division. I think I picked them for fifth, which they can still be fifth in the division and not make the playoffs, and I'd still look smart. But it's going to be really hard for them to make up all that ground, considering that there are some teams right now with what double digits of points and they don't have any especially with the metro didn't start very well but the capitals are playing well now the islanders are playing well now new york's been pretty lucky but they've been banking up points and pittsburgh you know is not going to be playing as bad as they've been forever. Even, even the flyers picked up more points than yeah, you would have expected exactly point. yeah the flyers are and i think that we even talked about this where they're going to be in that middle yeah um yeah. so yeah i I don't want to make a call right now because I think it's just way too early, and I don't think that they're as bad as they look. But, man, they've got a lot of ground to make up. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as John. Uh, Everything has just been going so spectacularly wrong for them again. But this time, at least it's not injuries. It's just something isn't clicking on the ice. And, and, you know, Totorella's going to get credit for something that he didn't do. uh, And and maybe they script their way into the playoffs at this point. They're they're sort of just there... They're the new bubble team. They, the Flyers have kind of taken advantage of it a little bit more, and maybe those guys scrap. Um, and, and I think the Blue Jackets in the spring have an advantage over the Flyers for sure if they've found themselves again. Uh, so they'll really have to earn every inch of the ice to get into the playoffs. Number three, Duncan Keith is going to be out four to six weeks and is currently listed on long-term injured reserve, which it goes without saying he's going to be saving the Caps $5 million in cap space every day he's out. Given the current depth of Chicago's defense, and we know this is a defensive core that's just not great, what are the odds that Chicago makes a move sooner rather than later to bolster their blue line? How easy, I mean, let's be honest, how easy is it for Chicago to actually make a move? Because, I mean, with with salary. Well, and that's the thing, too, is because, so by putting him on uh, long-term injured reserve, they get some of that cap space back. 
and they've been saying that they have been wanting to make a uh, move for a defenseman even before that. The problem with that is, is they open up that cap space, and if they use it, then what happens when Duncan Keith yeah, comes back? Yeah. They're handcuffed. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to do? Part of me really wants them to go ahead and just say, screw it, we'll figure it out later. That's a problem for future Blackhawks and figure out where it goes. But it's it's going to be hard for them to make a move that makes sense without doing another salary dump. Yeah, and, th- and that just shows the way the modern NHL is. Even if you put together that dynasty, it's all, it's got an expiration date on it because of the salary cap and because all your players who are who got you there are going to keep demanding more and more money. They're going to get old and they're going to get more fragile. Uh, so these things are going to happen. So both of you saying more likely or? I think that if there's a move to be made, they'll make it, especially if, because it sounds like they're trying to. I just... It doesn't seem very likely just because of the position that they're in. Yeah, I, it's going to be really hard, especially because we're so early on in the season. And I mean, how many trades get made in, in the very beginning of the season? Not many. Yeah, I, I think the, the way the Blackhawks will could approach it is going to be a lot like they approach any given regular season. You just need to be good enough to be in the playoffs, and then you play really well. And so, you just you really hope that your players and your system and your coach are good enough to keep keep afloat. And we're kind of get the ship turned around until Duncan Keith's back and hope that's enough, which I'm not even convinced that it necessarily is at yeah. this point. And I mean, four to six weeks isn't, you know, terrible, but it's not nothing. So, I mean, they just need to, like you said, stay afloat for a little bit and see where it takes them. Number four, Anaheim comes into town tomorrow night. Actually, they're already here. That's They're just practicing here. They're here and they're waiting. Bruce Boudreaux is having a rough start to the year, and I've even heard some ridiculous rumors uh, from, thankfully, the TSN folks that say that Randy Carlisle could be on his way back to Anaheim. We're going to bypass that one because that's just stupid. Is Bruce Boudreaux the coach of the Anaheim Ducks this time next year? This time next year, no. No, probably not. Though uh, it, the Ducks are another perplexing thing because they shouldn't be anywhere near as bad as they've been playing. Right. Uh, and I, you, you just have that terrible feeling they're going to break that against the Predators. Yeah, it's what I'm scared of. But and again, like uh, the the talk of canning Boudreaux this early is just ridiculous. I think, especially for just clearly worse coach. Yeah, clearly worse coach. Uh, and it's it's early in the season. You know how many teams start bad for a little bit and then break out. I mean, look at what they've done the past couple years with essentially the same team. I mean, they're going to find it and get it together eventually especially because the rest of their division just isn't good no the the pacific division's off to a really slow start this year so it's not not the time to panic number five mike ribeiro's had a rough start to the year understatement at one point does david Poyle need to consider making a move sooner rather than later to solidify the lineup and i have a follow-up from one of our members whenever we get through with this one he should be looking to solidify the lineup over the summer like really, he should be looking now and trying to do as much as he can. Yeah, I mean this—the move needs to be a summer move. Uh, they're gonna get—they're gonna get some bad contracts off the books this summer. It's gonna open up the team. They can be aggressive on the on the market in any way they need to be aggressive. Uh, but trying to make a number one center work mid-season without blowing up the important parts of your team and making the playoffs—that's that's asking for failure. And it puts them in a hard spot, too, because I think we're all in agreement that, again, we don't like the center depth on the team, and it's going to be really hard for them to get over that hump, you know, Western Conference Final, Stanley Cup Final, win the Stanley Cup with what they have right now. But 
if they don't do that, then it we're, uh, I think we all said that it's going to be a failure of a year if they don't get at least to the Western Conference Final. So how do you do that without messing up the dynamic of the team? You, you hope that the players who are struggling start getting it together. Yeah. Hunter Armstrong had a follow-up with this. With Rivera being a no-show for the season thus far, and the train wreck teams are starting to get out there, we're starting to identify you know, teams that may start panicking early, which again, we're still you know, a week and a half in the season, but you can start seeing where some of the loose, uh, some of the loose train rails are out there. Who can he get, or who can we get? He says hashtag no stall, but I, I'm, I, I am mean, actually with him. I'm not uh, the whole Eric Stall in Nashville thing. I think is just crazy. I have so much fun with that. I, mean, I, I he's <laughs> expensive and not that great. Yeah, I, I accidentally talked myself into it for a little bit, but I mean, looking at what he is and what's going to happen and how much they'd probably have to give up for him. My only gripe with him is he's not a great puck distributor. That's the only thing that that top line needs. And he's not a fantastic shooter anymore, and he's not quite as fast or as good two ways he is anymore. And And he's he's going to be expensive. Yeah. Do they have Jordan? Underline that like four times. No. No, Jordan looked good when he was with Pittsburgh, but that's because he was with Pittsburgh. He's with Pittsburgh. He's the... He's, he was he was fine for what he was, a third-line center that maybe looked like he could fill in with a second line, and it was like, oh, boo-hoo, I want to be a second-line center. There's not a ton of absolutely terrible teams with superstar number one centers or even star number one centers. It just doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the Oilers, but... John Tortorella is now the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> okay. Well, and There's a Ryan Johansson. That's what I was going to say. There's no way that they'll trade Ryan Johansson because yeah, I mean, it's not out realistic. of all the stupid contracts Columbus has, Ryan Johansson's not a stupid contract. What about, so Calgary's floundering right now and they're looking for something. What about like a Sean Monaghan? Again, I don't Monahan. think they... I don't, There's I don't no way they grow. They're not going to trade him. I mean, a cheap, a cheap, talented player like that. It's... I thought our best hope was of getting a guy like Bukanich, but Bukanich just uh, re-signed. Which, if you look at Bukanich's uh, possession numbers, he's essentially just a Czech turtleneck-wearing Mike Fisher. And you could hope that Michel Therrien screws with Galchenyuk so that they trade him. But again, not going to happen. And this is the problem with trying to look at centers to come in because the good ones just aren't available. No. And they're also expensive. Yeah. So this summer you're having, I mean, right now the the four free agent centers that I'm kind of looking at right now, Kopitar and Stamkos probably going to resign where they're at. I'd be really surprised if either of them leave. Well, just ima- well, imagine, though, if L.A. does implode a little bit and they start shipping out coaches, or they change coaches and things like that. Maybe Kopitar says, I need to change the scenery. Uh, he's, I don't see it. I really don't. He's going to get paid there. Um, can't pay anywhere. The the second tier below that are David Backus and Eric Stahl. Open market. Wow, that is that is quite the distance between the first <laughs> tier and the second tier. Why they drop off? Yes, I don't know if I would give up a whole lot for David Backus. Well, number one, well, they're not going to trade him to Nashville to begin with. But far as the open market, though, what is he? Thirty years old? Thirty two? He's thirty thirty one, I believe. No, I don't know about that. No, for a short for a short term. No, no, no. 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 I could do no. a lot worse than David Backus. I don't think that you should go out and sign 32-year-old centers to contracts to play number one center line roles, generally speaking. Um, there are a few exceptions to that, but... Gotcha. So, like just gonna, so a, a number one center is just going to magically appear in the wild, or how's it going to happen? That's pretty much how it works in the NHL. You have to be really bad to draft a number one center and then just hope you can keep your team together long enough 
to have it, have him be good at the same time the rest of the team or the rest of your team is good. That's how it works. Or I, go ahead. I was gonna say the only players that are waiting in the wings right now are Yakov Trenin and uh, Vladislav Kamenev, but that's not gonna be something that happens next year or the year after that. And that's even if they reach that potential to be number one or number two line centers. Yeah, and most most of the, the teams that have a history of trading top line centers have finally learned that not to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that doesn't work. So so you wouldn't make a trade to Boston if they start fam- start floundering this year for Patrice Bergeron? I mean, if Bergeron was available he for the right be- price, you go for it, but he's not the, he's not the Predators' solution to their number one center, necessarily. Uh, yeah, I might disagree with that. Patrice because Bergeron's like my most coveted player. Berge- I mean, Bergeron's he's, he's on a fantastic. plane of his, of, of his own, as far as, like, if we're, again, going back to you were, you were comparing uh, D- David Backus. <laughs> Give me Bergeron all day long, and that's not even a question. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... He's also I, I signed think, to a deal through 2022 with a no movement clause, so he would have to really want to leave Boston, mm-hmm. which could happen given how. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the, it goes to the very classic. You know, are, you you want to find the right person for the job, and the right person isn't always the absolute best, most talented person. And Bergeron would certainly improve parts of the Predators, but I don't think that he is necessarily the right guy that needs to be in the top line for for the players that are there. That's just that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think he would work really well with both Forsberg and Neal. You roll out a top line with those three guys, that's a two-way top line that could score a bunch of goals and just hog the puck the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not, I mean, there's not a wrong answer there. But, yeah. Uh, I, but, no. I mean, Kretschy's out there. Kretschy's there, too. Kretschy doesn't have quite – Kretschy's contract's a little bit more. He's not as good. Yeah, I, I think Kretschy maybe two years ago may have been fine. Nowadays, I mean, he's he's injured. Yeah, I mean, any, anytime you're talking about trying to find a guy to fill be your number one center, it just it devolves into this sort of like, who can you live with? Like <laughs> weird. It con- it's a weird conversation because there's not a good answer because the guys you want are never available, right? Yeah, and right. the guys you you don't want are not available either. Like Florida's not trading Barkov or Bukestad anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, the guys who are available are guys like Matt Lombardi was a few years ago. I mean, those are the guys. Went. Those are the guys who become available, and even even Lombardi was like maybe a 50 point player and he was like considered the coolest hottest thing in the market and that just the center market is really messed up the way you get a number one center is by drafting a number one center or taking advantage of a stupid team which isn't happening as much as it used to no dallas got lucky with that twice yeah exactly dallas got lucky with got really well they got smart with it twice they Mm -hmm. took advantage of some really Really bad moves there. Well, one last little thing to close the book as far as the center, the center depth goes. Do you think it's going to get? This is just kind of wild speculation because our fans love it when we do this. Um, so Barrow right now is playing not his best. Hodgson don't quite know what they have. They know what they have with Mike Fisher. Do you think at some point there's going to be a one or two game stretch where they try either Wilson or Forsberg at center? And do you want to see it? I don't want to see it. No. Um, I would see Wilson going up there before I'd see Forsberg going up there, but I don't see why that they would do that. Um, Wilson hasn't played center since David Legwan was traded, and Trotz put him up there for, what, three games, and it he was awful. He played center uh, for a part of a game last year uh, 
Ribeiro was having a bad game. They put Wilson up there between Forsberg and Nealon. It was okay, but it was one game. I mean, I'm always I'm always for try, giving you know Wilson a shot at center, but he hasn't really proven himself there at any point. Um, I think he he's still got enough to prove as a winger and as yeah. a consistent point producer on uh, his line. Yeah, Wilson is is a constant quandary. Yeah, he's going to he's he's always going to be that, I believe. But just with on paper, it makes sense. He's a big guy; he can pass pretty well. He's pretty good on the puck. And plays I, good beside talented line mates. And oddly enough, I sometimes feel like Wilson does better when he's got more to do. Yeah, I'm with I'm with you on that. I'm also, but I also feel like that he's a product of his line mates. You play him next to if he line mates, what are you going to get? Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's a no matter what his his you know, point production is he is a play driver. And so he needs guys who can take advantage of that. And that's a, that's a very interesting, it's an interesting skill set, an interesting combination. And it'd be great to see a player like him work at center because that's, and I don't want to try to compare these guys too closely, uh, but that's really what Bergeron does. Bergeron isn't a point producer. He just drives play so well that people around him are enabled to actually do that point production. And I, you know, Wilson hasn't really, he could be a similar player, not at the same tier, but he could be similar. He just hasn't taken, he never took that step. Yeah. And the problem with just right now is, is that pucks are dying with Ribeiro. And cause I mean, Smith is doing, doing well. I think we'd all agree that he's, Smith's off to a great start. He's trying. Um, but just that, that line is just, and this is, this is what I was afraid of when we were speaking about re-signing Ribeiro is because how much does his play drop off? Because for me, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. How much does that drop off? And it is still really early, but he doesn't look like he's showing any signs of getting any better right now. And for a 35-year-old player, it's, I mean, it's it's not like this is Callie Yarncroft we're talk, talking about or Victor Arvidsson, whose play is dipping for a little bit, or even Colin Wilson, for that matter. It's someone that this could be how it looks for the rest of the time. Well, and And it's not like... There isn't historical historical numbers behind this. I mean, exactly. You know, this this is what got him into huge trouble in Phoenix. He was expected to come in and, and do great things, and he doesn't produce. And he gets frustrated. And he acts out, um, and that's where that's where you get worried about him taking really stupid penalties in the on the ice. Gotcha with that. And starting to mouth off the refs and getting game misconducts again. All right. So you don't see them trying either of those guys. I'd be surprised if they did it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I, I don't think. Yeah, I just, I just for some reason, I just don't see it happening. Just, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I'd see Hodgson up there sooner than I'd see Wilson. But again, Hodgson's got a long way to go before he gets that look. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, guys. Um, I'm mean, coming up tomorrow night. So we're recording this on Wednesday. Thursday they have Anaheim. Saturday they have Pittsburgh. Now they're playing a game on Wednesday next week. We haven't really talked. We're going to be doing the show before the game against San Jose or after the game against San Jose. Uh, so we'll decide that at a later time. So let's right away. Um, Anaheim, Pittsburgh. Your prediction for the week: one one, two no, oh two. I could see one one. I predicted one one and one. Last week, yeah. and I was almost close with that. I went two negative, so I'm going to go two positive this week. I'm just going to go two, just no. two no. Oof. I got to overcompensate. Yeah, and I'm going to go one and one just because both of those teams are not doing the best, 
but they're good enough teams where you're you just hope that they don't break out against the Predators because I could absolutely see Anaheim and Pittsburgh steamrolling the Predators. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do see one of those teams breaking out. I think it's going to be Pittsburgh. I'm going to go two and zero with one of them in overtime, just because I I would like to see. Uh, I think it'll be Anaheim in overtime, just because it's they're going to get close. It's going to be kind of a sloppy game. It's going to be fun. Hooray! All right, loaded show, a lot of info. You guys, my hat's off to you. Don't normally praise you guys openly like that. So that was, we asked you a barrage of questions, and you guys handled it like professionals. Spent about 20 minutes talking about non-hockey stuff. It was great. Star Wars and burritos. Star Wars, burritos, and Mega Man. That is us in a nutshell. That's a good night right there. (laughs) You can follow him on Twitter at jgarcia36. You can follow Link on Twitter at 3dlink. You can follow myself at Dan D. Bradley. You can follow the show at On the Forecheck. We'll be back to you next week. This has been the Predcast, brought to you by On the Forecheck and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. Like